In this true crime law and order podcast, the episodes are presented by two separate yet equally ridiculous individuals, one who researches the actual crime and the other who recaps the episode. These are their stories. Did you, are you there? I'm Did I lose you? Do you? How do you feel? Usually you <laughs> have a pretty immediate reaction to the clap. I think most people have a pretty immediate reaction to the clap. To the clap. It's true. It's true. <laughs> For if in case I leave this in the episode, uh, since my, Matt and I record remotely since we're in the middle of a pandemic and we clap to kind of like sync up our audio files. So that's what that's the clap we're talking about. Yeah, not the clap. Do not people the even clap. call it the clap anymore? I don't think people call it the clap anymore. The clap is syphilis, right? I think so. Yeah, I think so too. Well, anyway, well. <laughs> how's it going? <laughs> Now that we've talked it's about the clap. Good. <laughs> what we really need to talk about is, oh, well, you haven't watched it yet. I was going to say the Britney Spears um, <sighs> special. No, I'll FX try special. to watch it. It's a three-day weekend, and so I'll probably try to watch it sometime tomorrow or Monday. Gotcha. Well, you're going to enjoy it, and it's <clears throat> actually a part of a series. Oh, uh, really? I FX does. Yeah, it's not. So this episode is about Britney Spears, but we watched another one afterwards about Breonna Taylor and there's, a, oh. there's like five others. Um, it's on FX. We were watching it on Hulu. And I forget what it's called. But anyone who is listening, if you haven't heard, you've heard of the Britney Spears documentary being titled probably the Britney Spears documentary. <laughs> I think it's of called the framing, framing Britney Spears, right? I'm going to go with that. It's definitely not called the Britney Spears documentary. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that is a really, you got to watch that. I've heard some pretty... I don't want to say positive reviews, like it's uplifting, but positive, like people should really watch it kind of reviews. Yeah, it's thought provoking for sure, at the very least. (sighs) Well, I'm I will watch it and maybe we can talk about it on next week's episode. Great. Does that sound good? It sounds really good. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I don't know if I have any other recommendations I've had this week. I don't think I've really watched anything new. I'm still listening to Sinisterhood. Well, I literally just read in the news like 10 minutes ago that the Senate has voted to acquit Uh, Trump. And so I am continue. I continue to be very disappointed in our government and uh, their integrity. So that's cool. Yeah. Disappointed, but not surprised. Yep, exactly. That's like the unfortunately, I feel like disappointed, but not surprised is kind of the theme of the last several years. (laughs) Especially Honestly, 2020. Let's, let's copyright that and make like a little fold-out book. Oh my god. Our first uh, t-shirt design will be disappointed but not surprised. And it's going to be like a little raccoon or a possum just kind of like giving you a little sad face. A shrug? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's going to have its arms crossed and just be a little cranky about it. Maybe it'll be a dog discovering like um, a crime scene. And it'll just say disappointed but not surprised. Okay, honestly, at this point, if Scruff McGruff hadn't been a, you know, part of like Dare and, you know, its own trademarked thing, I feel like Law and Order's unofficial mascot would be Scruff McGruff or like a dog in a trench coat solving crimes. I'd be all over that. That could have been a kid's show. That could have been a, a different spinoff, maybe a successful one. A hundred percent. Was Scruff McGruff was literally just Dare commercials, right? He didn't have a TV show or anything? No, but I think they sold like VHS tapes um, with him on it for like <laughs> like teaching you about drugs and stuff. So- <laughs> Just we last fee. Um, no, it's it's like you know 
things you you don't want to watch as a kid that your parents think you'll watch just because it's a cartoon? Oh, like infor- like educational, informative exactly. TV show kind of things. Okay. Exactly. To- like when my dad used to make me watch um, this cartoon called Chalky, which was like biblical a biblical cartoon. I didn't oh, realize. I did you know that so the, the Veggie Tales are like a religious thing? Oh, yeah. I didn't 100%. know that. I, I mean, I was too far too old for Veggie Tales. I'm, I like saw it at some child's house that I was like babysitting or something. And I remember I like I wasn't paying attention to it because like I obviously didn't give two shits about it because I was old. But I discovered years later that it was like a, a religious cartoon thing. And I was surprised that it had kind of, I don't know, gotten as popular as it had given that because I feel like it feels like when things are like immediately branded as like a a religious thing they tend to be pretty limited in scope but this feels like it like Veggie Tales feels like it it transcended into like more mass market areas if that makes sense no it definitely did it was I had to watch it because my little sister loved Veggie Tales when she was growing up oh okay and I would watch it with her and I actually really like didn't it was one of those shows that if that's what she was going to watch it really didn't bother me <laughs> yeah it was like it was actually the best kind of, of the options <laughs> exactly it was kind of doable yeah. um as far as some of the other kids shows that she was into at the time or watching Space Jam for the one millionth time I never saw that Space was, Jam what why <laughs> I don't know. That's the one with all okay. the the Looney Tunes playing basketball That's with the with one the... with all the Looney Tunes playing. Oh Isn't it? No, is it not? No, it's it's the one that covers like the nuclear holocaust Shut and. Up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was confused for a minute. Space I for a minute Jam. I was thinking of Air Bud. Do not. <laughs> but they're both basketball no. movies, right? Yes, they're both okay. Family basketball movies. One is a I've never seen Air Bud, <laughs> but. It's, you know, a golden retriever shooting hoops, I guess. While we're on the subject of basketball in movies, one of my favorite things on the internet is the, like, honest review. We've talked about this before, but honest reviews of, like, movies or video games or whatever. There's a really good honest review of the Catwoman movie with Halle Berry, Mm -hmm. which I never saw, but literally was apparently the most atrocious thing that has ever been made into a movie. And there's a scene where, like, Halle Berry and whoever her co-star is in the movie are, like, playing basketball. And the, um, A, it's terrible and so (laughs) cheesy. And, like, it's like a dance, like, flirting with each other while, like, dribbling the basketball. But, one of like, the Honest Review trailer talks about how it was so poor like the whole movie was so poorly edited that it was like hacked together like frankenstein so it you can see in like a 10 second span or a 30 second span them like cut from different cameras like clip to clip to clip to clip and it just like makes you nauseous because you're never looking at one thing for more than three quarters of a second and so but you need to go if you haven't seen it matt you need to go watch the uh catwoman honest reviews because just for that basketball scene alone it's pretty incredible I haven't seen that one. I have seen that basketball scene on many like top 10 worst <laughs> uh, movie lists when they yes. show like clips from Catwoman because it's universally on almost all of those lists. And then one of the scenes they always show is that basketball scene. 
didn't Halle Berry in that same year win the Academy Award for um, Monsters, Monsters Ball? Ball? Like she she won a Razzie and showed up for it for Catwoman and then mm-hmm. won an Academy Award for Monster Ball in the same year. I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> and I always think about that, like when actors are like an actress like Halle Berry, for example, or any 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 A-list celebrity. Right. And they do something incredible. And then also like. I don't think Cameron Diaz, oh, not Cameron Diaz. Uh, I, we've talked about my feelings with Gwyneth Paltrow. But I just mm-hmm. remember, you know, she was in like Academy Award winning movies and then she was in Fat Hal with Jack Black, which oh, yeah. was apparently terrible and also really problematic. But I just remember thinking like, why did you do this? And I remember reading some article where you know, a movie was terrible and they were interviewing the actor who was in it. And he was like, the thing is like, we don't film movies from the beginning to the end. Like we film based on the convenience of the time and who the actors are that need to be in there and the setting that we need to be in. And so we might film like the beginning of a movie and the end of a movie on the same day or like all the middle parts first. And so he was like, a lot of times as an actor, you have no idea if you're producing or like part of something that's really good or really terrible until it comes out. Like you sort of find out with the rest of the world, whether it's garbage or not. And you don't really know what's going to happen. Characters that you interact with in most of your scenes could be completely edited out 100%. Yeah, and totally. therefore like a part of your storyline that's completely believable and understandable is now left Right. Like on the cutting room floor and now you look like a bad actor. Do you know what I mean? Correct. Yes, totally. Yep. I I also have heard of multiple instances, like including, I think that's most notoriously Edward Norton, who, you know, you sign on a contract with a studio for like six movies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And then like you make two really great ones or one really great one. And then you oh, just and then have to. Forced. Yeah. Exactly. You're essentially forced because you're under a time frame of how, when you have to do these movies in. And mm-hmm. they might be pushing, like pitching you movies you hate over and over and over again, but eventually like you have to do it. And I think most notoriously is Edward Norton doing that Hulk movie that he really, really didn't want to do. And Ed Norton really, was in a really Hulk panned. movie? Oh my God. Exactly. Number. Yeah. Okay. So I have two things to say. The first is I real. it just hit me that I said the wrong name for that Cameron Diaz or uh, Gwyneth Paltrow movie. It's Shallow Hell, not Fat Hell. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. And... <laughs> The other thing is Ed Norton, Incredible Hulk. We need to stop just making superhero movies. I love superheroes. I'm a big fan of like fantasy sci-fi things, as we know, because we have another podcast where we talk entirely about that. But <laughs> I, I'm I'm over it. I don't need to see explosions. I don't need to see 25 Wonder Woman movies. Give me some variety, you know, focus on a good storyline, do good character development. And that's going to be so much more interesting than a hundred what Michael Bay Michael Bay is the the actor who just does a million Transformer movies where everything explodes right yeah the producer or whatever right <sighs> we need to stop he needs to be stopped <laughs> <laughs> it's not really the time for that type of movie right now anyway no Ex- I mean other than the escapist like nature of like good wins the day at the end kind of thing which oh that's true that's you know true. we we just saw <laughs> a uh, orange uh, dictator get acquitted of all charges. So good doesn't always win the day at the end. Yeah, I just, I'm going to try to like focus on just moving forward now and hoping, yeah, you know, enough positive things happen where we won't have to worry about any like re 
Uh, I'm not even going to say it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, oh, yes, yes. Big, exciting news. Well, big, exciting news for me. (laughs) And I'm sure for you, too. And it's exciting for me as well. Yes. Yes. So one thing uh, I've always been curious about, because a lot of the podcasts I find are based on like word of mouth or like someone tells me about something and then I look it up and I read like a pretty comprehensive review of it. And I'm like, okay, that sounds like my kind of vibe. And someone wrote a really, really, really kind review about us on Discover Pods. And it's called, so they, it's, you know, it's very easy to find. We'll put the link in our, in our social media. Well, oh yeah. Yeah. And we'll put it on the, on the description, um, on the website, which by the way, if you remember, new website we launched. We have a website. RippedHeadlinesPod.com. <laughs> yes, RippedHeadlinesPod.com. Um, so we'll have it at the link up there too. But yeah, it's a really, really kind review. And it kind of shows that um, she gave she gave us her pronouns. So it kind of shows that she really understands what we're trying to do. And that's really exciting because, yeah. you know, it's our hope that everybody kind of hears us in our most authentic, genuine voices and... It's nice to know that that got across. So um, a big thank you to Anya Lauren Wilson. I hope I'm pronouncing your name name correctly because I I do think that's important. So if I'm not, please correct me. But uh, yeah, big thank you to Anya Lauren Wilson. Their uh, website, I believe, is in the article. I think it's just AnyaWilson.com. They have a lot of great articles on there that they've contributed. Um, There's some other really cool content up there. They're doing a lot of exciting things so please check them out and thank you so much again and uh yeah we'll put that link up there one of the things that i liked about their review is they talked about how so much true crime media is really just kind of for the like graphic nature of it at at sort of people's expense and they talk about how we don't do that which is really great to hear reflected back to us because that's definitely something we are trying really hard not to do and so it was it felt really good to have somebody recognize that 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 we're accomplishing that from their perspective so thank you again so much for listening and thank you so much for writing that review we really really appreciate it yes and if anyone out there is listening and you do any sort of contributions to any sort of publications or you are aware of anyone who does reviews, please pass them along our podcast or pass along their contact information to us. We'd love to get more feedback from people. Totally. The other thing I wanted to share, well, the other thing we wanted to share is (laughs) that we, last time we uh, said to all of our listeners that uh, if you have any good ghost stories to send those into us, and we got an email from a listener, Sherry B., Uh, from Atlanta. Wait, did I say? Yes, Atlanta. And they wrote that in 2010, it was a boring Saturday night at about midnight in suburban Philadelphia, and they were watching a show on TLC where celebrities tell a ghost story of their own. The episode featured Rue McClanahan from the, uh, I almost said the Gilmore Girls, the Golden Girls. (laughs) My favorite show, by the way. (laughs) By the way, listeners, the Golden Girls is my favorite show. Continue. (laughs) And weirdly, it was very shortly after she had died, so Rue McClanahan had recently passed away. She was telling a detailed story about how her bestie of 100 years was very, of like 100 years, was very ill, and while she was at his bedside, they jokingly proposed to each other that if one or the other passed away, they would find a way to send a message to the other from the beyond, and they decided that manipulating lights in some way would be their their message to each other. 
Unfortunately, her friend passed, and that same night she couldn't sleep and was in her kitchen in the wee hours, and her lights went off and then came back on. The next day or so, she was emailing someone about the death, and her monitor went out and came back on. And there was a third situation that uh, Sherry says she can't remember, but you get the idea. After the episode, I went to the bathroom before bed. My apartment has a small ceiling light right outside of the bathroom, which was on, and hopefully not TMI, but while I was sitting down, the light went out suddenly. I stared at the ceiling for a full minute. The light came back on, and all alone on the toilet at 1 a.m., I said out loud, Rue? <laughs> that light never went on or off again by itself, and I enjoy thinking that the great Miss Rue McClanahan was sending a sleepy, rando woman in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania, a message from the beyond. <laughs> <sighs> So, Sherry, thank you so much for sharing your ghost story. If other listeners have ghost stories that they want to share, please feel free to send those in. Whether they're spooky or sweet like this one, I am always down to hear somebody's ghost story. So feel free to send those in, and we will happily read it on the show if you give us the permission to do so. So if you do email us in, let us know if you're okay with that. Yeah, thank you so much for that submission. That was so adorable. That was so, like, heartwarming a, because it was like just a great story and B, just because it's so nice that, you know, we were able to connect with somebody. So thank you so much for that. Yeah. Well, should we get into this week's episode? I definitely think we should. Okay. Well, this is episode 21 of our podcast. It's episode 20 of the first season of Law and Order. And it is Isn't called- Isn't it episode 22? It is podcast? episode- 20 fucking yes it's episode 22 of our podcast <laughs> 21 of law and order <laughs> and it is called sonata for a solo organ actually i think it's like sonata for solo organ which i think you're right is weirder it's without it's, the, uh, it's weird it's uh, yeah it's like a clever double entendre thing as we'll come to find out in the episode i think clever is very generous of you as clever, it's clever on on the bar of Law and Order. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I feel yet again very vindicated because do you know what this episode opens with? It opens with beat cops on horseback. Bum, 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 bum. I, so, I actually almost thought it was a an old episode, and I was watching it on accident. <laughs> oh, I know because we've had an episode with. It's funny. We the only other episode we've had with um, officers on horseback has been like this one opens with like it's in the middle of a park and it's winter and so it's snowing. And yeah. I think the other one was a snowy one. Exactly. It's I, they could have filmed this at the same time for all we know. <laughs> all right. So these two officers on horseback are go up and start harassing some homeless folks who are just trying to sleep and basically are like get out of the park you can't be here and then they see like a, a man on one of the benches kind of covered up with like what looks like a tarp and they go to kind of poke at him and they realize he's been attacked or injured and as one of the officers is like helping him the man sit up looks at his hand and realizes his hand is covered in blood and his reaction is to say Good morning, New York. And then it cuts to the title sequence. I honestly, <laughs> like, <laughs> when he pulled his hand out and it was, like, co covered in blood, it looked yeah. like he just literally dunked his hand into a vat of corn syrup. Like, it, oh yeah, it was very bad fake blood. I, I was thinking, like, maybe a jello that hasn't fully set yet. <laughs> it was, like, pretty bright red. 
Yeah, and it was like literally his entire hand. His was, entire went hand. from skin yes. to red. Like he was like having a paraffin wax. Yeah. Oh, yes, very much that. <laughs> so we learn that this was an incision wound that was kind of like well sewn up and somebody has stolen this man's kidney. Logan and Gravy arrive on the scene and Logan's reaction when he learns that this man has been attacked and his kidney has been stolen is to say, talk about getting your pocket picked, eh? And then he literally <laughs> like, there, there's like a few moments of dead silence where he like, look like tries purposefully to make eye contact with the other people in the scene like funny is it funny am i funny and nobody laughs because no it's not funny no it's so awkward and sorry i said title sequence a minute ago this is when we get the title sequence which by the way i took that time and i took some salsa dancing lessons and came back after a few lessons and uh we're back at the episode are you you must be a pro by now I'm pretty accomplished at this point, I feel like. Okay, we're going to we're going to put you on dancing with the stars. <laughs> <laughs> so, Logan and Grevy are in the hospital talking to the doctor and are at this point are kind of thinking that this must have been an organ thief because this man has no recollection of what happened being attacked. He didn't have any recent surgeries and so they're like what what's going on here? There's a bit of a mystery. This man is missing a kidney. And they go to talk to another doctor who is, I feel like she could have come from a previous episode where (laughs) she's playing this very, like, buttoned up theatrical accent. But she's one of the better Mm -hmm. actors in the episode, ironically. Definitely. But she's definitely that character. Yes, she's very much that (laughs) character. When she is not wearing her, like, physician's coat, she is wearing a a, a beautiful forest green satin blouse. (laughs) She tells them, essentially, that there's no such thing as a black market for kidneys and says Um... to them, which I know, I was like, really? And she says that she's talking about the amazing medical advances and how, quote, we can keep people alive on dialysis until a kidney becomes available. And they ask how long that takes. And she and then she says, long, sometimes never. And so I'm I'm like, I'm sorry. Those two sentences don't go together. Like, there's no reason for a black market for kidneys. We can keep people alive. Sometimes they never get a transplant, but whatever. Ma'am, there's a disconnect. <laughs> Ma'am, this is a Wendy's. So she does say that there's not a lot of need for like perfect matches for kidneys anymore. Because there's like drugs that help to prevent our body from rejecting a kidney that isn't a perfect match, unless the person is highly cytotoxic, which I guess is apparently something that causes your body to attack an organ transplant and refuse it. And so if if somebody is highly cytotoxic, they would need virtually a perfect match for any organ donation. So they go to talk to the man who's had his kidney taken from him, and he is supposedly like really, really like the nurse is like, he just got out of surgery and he's got a double dose of every pain medicine we've got. So like, good luck. And honestly, I've, I've had surgery. I've been in the hospital when you, if a nurse said this person is on like the most intense drugs we've got, you are so loopy and out of it. Like the, the, the conversation that they're about to have with him, there's not a chance that it would happen like to that (laughs) level of lucidity. He would be like looking googly eyed, like a chameleon at the walls. (laughs) Exactly. I was thinking the same thing. Honestly. So 
they're interviewing him and they have a conversation with him, but he says he, he you know, he's never had surgery. He doesn't remember anything from the, the night or whenever he was attacked and his kidney was taken. So they kind of think this is sort of a, a dead end for getting more information from him necessarily. But they do think that he's not some random victim. So they go to the station and they're talking through some different theories with Cragen about what happened. And literally the first option that they talk about when Craig is like, well, what explanations could we have? Grievy's first response is, well, it can't be a cult because they wouldn't have stitched him up. How did he jump to a cult as the I, first explanation? Honestly. Well, that's, you know, satanic panic. <laughs> I guess, maybe. And it's so funny because the, the whole episode, all I was thinking about was there was definitely a period in the 90s, and I remember it more in the mid to late 90s, when, like, Oregon Thief was, like, a really big fear that people had. Like, there were so many, I feel like, urban legends about, like, you know, don't shake this person's hand because you'll wake up in a bathtub full of ice and your kidneys have been taken away. Like, there was, it was, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of that in, like, urban legend shit going on in the mid to late 90s, as I recall. Big time. And I was thinking about the episode of Nip Tuck, or maybe multiple episodes of Nip Tuck. Did you ever watch (laughs) Nip Tuck? I've seen episodes of it, but when it was running, we didn't have that channel, whatever it was, so just caught some with, like, friends, but... There was, like, a a whole season or half a season or whatever where there was, like, Oregon Thieves. That show, by the way, I don't... I mean, I would need to go back and watch it to to say anything really about it, but it was one of those shows that was like, oh, this is kind of good, and then it just, like, went completely off the fucking rails and, like... Suddenly, everybody was acting in adult films while also being surgeons and, like, cooking meth and their houses were exploding and there was cartel people. I'm not joking. Literally everything that I just said was an element of the storyline in Nip Tuck. Zero exaggeration. What was the last one? Hotel people? Their hotels were... Oh, uh, cartel people were, like, smuggling drugs through people's implants and the plastic surgeons were, like, tied up with the cartel. It was bananas that show Uh, was off the rails from two minutes in (laughs) they really jumped the shark real early (laughs) well in the first episode they literally feed people to alligators so i should have known from episode one (laughs) still watched a lot of it so (laughs) where was i grievy is saying it's not a cult and so what else could it possibly be and they think well you know what we should find out who got the kidney transplant? And again, how was that not your first line of inquiry? First, you had to rule out a cult before you thought, let's track down who just got kidney transplants. What? This literally should have played out as like a like a old timey sitcom where like the yes. Kragen's like, why don't you guys try to find out who got the the yeah. implant? And then like both Logan and Grievy look at each other and it goes womp 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 <laughs> and like they both like put their arms like crossed and kind of like look down and sad. <laughs> yes. So uh, da, 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 ba, ba, ba. okay. So they call around to the local hospitals to find out who has recently received kidney transplants, and they go first to question the agency, which I believe is called the Organ Transplant Network in the TV show, and find out about the the recent organs that have become available for transplant. And they find out that, like, you know, there's a woman, like, going through a clipboard and is like, this one in this hospital, this one in this hospital, and then she goes, well, this is strange. 
there's no record of this one that happened last night. And so uh, this was five minutes into the episode, by the way. I don't know how this ended up being an entire episode because I was like, well, we know the answer. Like, this is the person who stole his kidney. Problem solved. Nope. We go on for quite a while more. And granted, there are a few twists and turns. So they go to interview the doctor who had done the transplant for this mystery fourth kidney. And... The doctor immediately is like, do you mind if I record this conversation? I just find it's better for avoiding any misunderstandings. Which again, missing kidney, unregistered kidney, like transplant, you're the doctor who did it. And suddenly you're trying to record our conversation. Like just everything about this is like, we don't need to do any detective work. We have solved this problem already. (laughs) Like we've got it. We know what happened. They, they're talking to this doctor and he's like, oh, I don't really care where a kidney comes from. Like, go talk to OTN, the Organ Transplant Network. Um, you know, they, they worry about where it comes from. But if somebody shows up with, <laughs> he literally says, basically, if somebody shows up with a kidney and they need a kidney, I'm going to stick it in them. <laughs> and Logan and Grievy tell him that OTN doesn't have any records of this kidney transplant. And the doctor's like, well, I don't know what to tell you. So they just leave. And... They go talk to a nurse about the woman who had received this transplant, because this woman who received the transplant is still unconscious. The nurse is very, like, weirdly chummy-chummy with Logan and Grievy. Like, they're all very, like, with each other. (laughs) But she tells them that this woman's name is Mary Mealy or something like that. doesn't matter. But it's a fake name, because when celebrities come in or really famous people, they always give them this same fake name so that, you know, people don't know that Janet Jackson is the person in the hospital or whatever. Well wishes to Janet Jackson. I'm sure you're fine. I hope I haven't jinxed anything. I just knocked on the fake wood of my desk. Is she okay? She's fine. I don't know anything. But if suddenly (laughs) something happens tomorrow, it's going to lend credibility to my theory that I'm a psychic, which I talked about on our other podcast. (laughs) And it would be, again, a music psychic because Janet Jackson is a Oh, music psychic. That's right. So... Anyway, this woman is apparently somebody powerful or well-known, but we don't really know who she is. And so Logan and Grievy decide to just go into her hospital room and take her belongings to fingerprint them. I don't know about that. That doesn't sound Uh, on the up and up to me. No, you're just stealing her belongings? And Cregan literally says to them, that's robbery. And that he's like, well, just put it back. Put it back before she finds out. Again, not how the legal system is designed to work and seems like a bit of a double standard. Uh, yeah. But they do find Prince on it. And she is the daughter of the Woodley family. And apparently she had been arrested a few years back for something unrelated to the story. I think it was something about drugs. And they're like, the Woodley family? You mean like the Woodley Laboratory and the Woodley Research Center and the Woodley Library? So it's this big hoity-toity family who apparently gives money to anyone and everyone. Must be nice. (sighs) Yeah. So they go to interview old man Woodley, who I never wrote down his first name, but he's the father. And he's like, I don't know anything. And they're like, okay, cool, thanks, bye. Then they go to talk to... The doctor of the kidney victim, his name, <laughs> kidney victim, is kind kidney of victim. To to his name is McDaniel. Apparently, McDaniel had had some tests run recently because he was dealing with a paternity issue. And the tests that you run for paternity tests are the same kind of tests that you run for matches for organ donation. 
So this mystery is sort of building that this random man had just had this test and then suddenly his kidney was stolen. So they're like, okay, let's go investigate the testing clinic and find out what they know. Turns out one of the nurses there has been like improperly accessing all of the files. Okay, so she has been selling the results of the testing to this nurse named Elaine who works with the doctor who they interviewed who like recorded the conversation. So they go and talk to this nurse, Elaine. She denies everything, says, at the same time that she says, I didn't do anything, I don't know anything, she also says, like, everybody does this. Like, we're just speeding up the bureaucracy. If we get a kidney, we find out there's a kidney match, we're going to stick it in somebody. Like, we're not going to wait six months for it to go through, like, the official process. Which, to me, sounds like you literally are admitting to crimes right now. (laughs) So I don't think that's the right journey for you, but choose your own choices. Uh, Her hair was also not the right journey for her, I'll tell you that. Tell me more. I kind of forget what her hair was like. If Darth Vader decided that (laughs) instead of wearing a helmet, he was going to have blonde hair in that shape. I can picture it exactly now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then put two barrettes, like, kind of next to the bangs for no good reason. Mm -hmm. She was, like, dressed and behaved like Shelley Long's character on Cheers. Was it Diane? (laughs) Maybe? It, like I, as if she had like wandered out and um gotten amnesia and ended up in a hospital. That's how she <laughs> kind of struck me. I agree. The hair was not a good choice now that I'm now that I remember it. Yeah, it was more of a shape rather yes. than like strands of hair. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was like one <laughs> big hair instead of a bunch of hairs. <laughs> one big hair. <laughs> <laughs> so She says, though, that she doesn't know anything about this McDaniel case. And so they go back to the organ transplant network. And the uh, woman who had received the kidney was apparently, like, super desperate because she had had two failed transplants before. And with each failed organ transplant, apparently the body becomes more cytotoxic. And so the odds of failed organ donations or organ transplants, I should say, increases. And so this woman, in order to survive, basically needed a kidney that was like a perfect match. So the evidence of her knowledge or involvement or some sort of nefarious dealings to, for her to get this kidney are, are increasing. So they do a little bit more detective work and essentially find out that on the night of the attack, the nurse Elaine had rented an anesthesia machine on behalf of Dr. Recording Device. That's gonna, how I'm going to refer to him from this point on because I didn't write down his character's name. So Elaine, like Dr. <laughs> Recording Device, had rented this anesthesia machine on the night of this man's attack and kidney theft. So they decide to go and do their favorite kind of detective work which is digging through garbage (laughs) because i feel like that is where they find all of their evidence is in piles of garbage (laughs) in this nurse's garbage that's sitting outside her house they find blood on uh, on clothing that matches the kidney victim (laughs) mcdaniel at this point they decide that they have enough information to charge nurse elaine and doctor recording device with the attempted murder of mcdaniel this is kind of when we start getting into the law side of things or the order side of things and stone and robinette show up and are basically at their offices and sorry and otn the organ transplant network shows up and is like hey 
we know that you're doing this these charges against Nurse Elaine and Dr. Recording Device, but we need you to aim higher because it's really important for the integrity of the organ donation process that people like the public is aware that like you can't get away with bribing doctors or bribing nurses or paying people to get your door your organs sooner like you have to follow the same rules is basically what otn is telling stone and robinette like you really have to aim for the person who orchestrated this entire thing so Mm -hmm. At this point, they're saying you have to go after old man Woodley, the super rich father of the woman who had received the kidney transplant. In order to get information on Woodley, Logan and Grevy and Stone and Robinette kind of pit Nurse Elaine and Dr. Recording Device against each other and are basically like, listen, we'll plea down the charges of attempted murder if you tell us what happened that night. Nurse Elaine caves pretty much immediately and tells them that that night that uh, she had doctor recording device and she had rented the anesthesia machine. And I didn't I, I didn't actually write down how they like drugged and attacked him, but they stole his kidney that night. And she gives them an interesting piece of information, which is that when they were kind of like suturing him up or whatever, stitching him up, they had she pointed out to doctor recording device that he was bleeding pretty heavily. And the doctor was like, um, no, 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 it's fine. That's he's just oozing. <laughs> And she's like, we're not going to leave here with this man bleeding. You need to fix him. And so the doctor kind of like begrudgingly agrees and fixes and like stitches up McDaniel. But the nurse says essentially that she thinks that he intended for him to die so that there were no loose ends of the kidney theft. Right. Because it was like the it was kind of like a common thing that was left undone inside of him. Right. Like it was like Correct. no one would have left it. Un- yes. A rookie mistake. One of the other doctors calls it basically. Mm. So they use this information to get the doctor to cave. And um, he says, I want a deal if I'm going to give up old man Woodley. And he says that old man Woodley had given him a million dollars and said, do whatever it takes to get my daughter a kidney. And so at this point, the, the struggle that Stone and Robinette have is whether or not they can prosecute Woodley, because the question is, did he know about and intend for McDaniel to die? Like, was this actually attempted murder that he orchestrated? So they bring him up on a variety of charges. He pleads not guilty. And then in sort of like a secretive meeting with all of the district attorneys, the lawyer for old man Woodley is like, he's a great guy. You can't do this to him, blah, blah, blah. But they decide to anyway, like they, they follow their integrity and say like, we have to, we have to prosecute him like we would anyone else. And so they, they put McDaniel, the the kidney victim on the stand and in a pretty, I think, gross incident of like courtroom theatrics, Stone makes him take his shirt off in front of the jury to show the, like, incision wound, which I feel like you probably would have just used a photograph and not made one of your witnesses take off their clothes in the middle of a courtroom, I think. But I'm not, but I'm not a lawyer. (laughs) Yeah, I thought the same thing, and I just told myself, like, I I am going to presume that they had a long talk about this before they came into the courtroom. I guess so. And I hope that this was not just sprung on him for a dramatic effect because, you know, he's crying after he does it. He did. That was a great actor. He was a good actor. He was one of the better ones. For sure. So they also get the doctor on the stand and he testifies that old man Woodley told him that he wanted a kidney for his daughter, no matter the cost. 
And the defense asks the doctor if Woodley had ever said, go out and cut an innocent man. And doctor recording device says, no, he didn't tell me that. And then says, did you ever tell old man Woodley of your plan to attack Mr. McDaniel? And he says, no. So it's not looking great at this point for the prosecution that they're going to be able to, uh, you know, catch Woodley as having orchestrated all of this. It's at this point that we get a, a random scene that we don't really need, but Mrs. Woodley, who has the recipient of the kidney transplant, gets out of the hospital and in like a very weirdly lit, strangely <laughs> cinematic scene where she's like lit from behind, like she's this w- random angel. It's her only sp- speaking lines in the whole episode. She kind of like waxes poetic about how her father is a great guy. He's already set up a trust fund for Mr. McDaniel and his children and he'd be he's going to be a really wealthy man so like what's the problem i've got my kidney he still has a kidney and he's going to be rich because my dad's going to make him rich and stone is basically like okay but if you had needed a heart transplant do you really think your dad would have done anything different and she kind of like has a oh fuck realization and realizes that her dad could have had this man killed in order to save her life and she just leaves and you know they never interview her (laughs) Or anything. And it's just this weird moment that does nothing for the story, but is weird. It's like a scene from Milrose Place just popped into the middle of... Yes! That's exactly (laughs) what it feels like. (laughs) It was weird. And it was was like in the last episode when they did that Irish pub scene that felt like I was watching a movie all of a sudden. 100% shot and lit totally differently totally and then all of a sudden the dialogue is written in a storytelling kind of way rather than in a very almost like a a mini series kind of storytelling writing that's kind of how it feels at this point they discover that old man woodley had purchased dr recording devices million dollar house for two million dollars after the fact that the doctor had been arrested. So it's at this point that they realize that old man Woodley has essentially bribed the doctor for his silence. And the doctor, and so they're like, hey, doc, like we're dropping or we're bringing up all of these charges against you. Like we now know that you did this. We know you knew what you were doing and you're going down for murder. And so the doctor to save his own ass, produces a tape with a recording on it. And on that recording is old man Woodley saying, you know, do whatever you have to do to get my daughter a kidney, kill the son of a bitch if you have to. And so with that tape, smoke and gun, smoke and gun with that tape, they go back to court. They play it for the jury. Dr. Recording device says that, yes, that's my tape. Yes. It's Woodley on the recording. And that's kind of the end of the episode, and essentially Woodley gets convicted for these attempted murder charges, and that's the end of the episode. Oh, so so what is going to happen now? Does he does she have to give back the organ somehow? Like what what do you do to to fix I that? Can't imagine that they would take. I don't know, actually. That's a really interesting question because if they're able to prove that it was his kidney, would they take it? They can't. Would they take it back? Because they asked They asked him in the episode, what would make this right? And he says, getting my kidney back. <laughs> oh, that's true. He does say that. And oh, they just I never touched the idea again. And I wonder, like, what do you do? Because if they take the kidney back, don't they have to have in essence, like something else to give the girl because I mean, they would put her back on dialysis, wouldn't they? I don't know. I guess. 
I would be really interested to know if there's like if there's stories out there of of real kidney thievery and they find out and the person's still alive, do you get your kidney back? I don't know. I bet not. Well, I bet cuz I bet at that point they would be able to like sue for like no you're putting my life in danger by putting me forcing me to go back under surgery or whatever. I, I bet that she's keeping that kidney. Yeah, I just feel like, you know, he better get a good payout or something. I mean, she said he's going to be a rich man, so would you trade your kidney for like literally being rich? <laughs> it depends on how much how rich. But yeah. Maybe, yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess I second. would I would want to do some research on like the the rates or percentages of like one of your kidneys failing. I mean, cuz you can you can get by with one kidney. Right, but I mean, you always have the risk that one kidney failing. Yeah. I guess, and they do say in the episode, it's also not legal to sell a kidney, so you can't exactly. sell somebody your kidney. <laughs> so I guess I wouldn't do it, um, but it would be kind of tempting if I uh, was going to be really rich. I don't know. Very true. Well, so great job. Thank you. Great job. And you'll have a lot of, um, a lot of uh, time to ponder more about kidney theft in, uh, in my portion. <laughs> I can't wait. Is yours based on a specific crime, or is it like a series of kidney thievery like mysteries once again i'm tasked with a non-specific episode oh okay <laughs> again okay i'll just get into it so it's okay. basically inspired by the urban legend of the kidney oh, of kidney yeah, thievery yeah, yeah. essentially mm-hmm. so rather than being based on a crime but there's a little bit of speculation on that anyway Okay. So my sources for today were the usual Wikipedia and the Law and Order Wikipedia. And I also used uh, Snopes, which is a website I used to go on like every day in high school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty good for fact checking. So I love it. I still love it. I forgot about it until doing some of these research for some of these cases. And I was like, oh, Snopes was like my resource. <laughs> I have a true confession, which is I sometimes engage in a little bit of snarky online behavior where when somebody posts something that is like wildly out there, I will go on Snopes, see that it's like fake and just in, and not like comment. I'll just comment the link to Snopes on their oh, like, yeah. Facebook post. hundred <laughs> percent. I love when I see that. I wish people did a little more research before they just posted things. Hello. That's how you know you have like the right like friend group, the right social media friend group is when you go on a post that you you read it and you're like, okay, this is totally false. And when you clip the comment section, someone has already done that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'm in the right group of people. Yes. Oh, so, okay. So I used uh, those. I also used tvtropes.org and then um, a few online articles. One was from, I don't know if it's live science or live science.com, but it's from uh, 2008 by Benjamin Radford. Okay. One from acamstoday.org from 2018 by Christina Bain. A article from theguardian.com from 2019 by Sean Colum and an auto. An article from SciDev.net from 2020 by Victor Jack. Okay. I also found two documentaries. I only watched one of them, but I'll mention both because they're both critically acclaimed, it seems. And um, I will watch the other one. So one, they're both on, uh, they're both on Amazon Prime. One okay. is from 2016, and it's called Human Harvest. Gross. And I, I know. I think it documents the organ 
trade and trafficking specifically in China. I I thought it sounded like you said Oregon Trail. <laughs> then suddenly my brain came up with a really horrifying mashup of Oregon Trail video game, but like organs. Oh my you God. have lost I mean, two kidneys. Exactly. I mean, you they could just totally make that an alternate game where it's Oregon Trail and you're just like trying to escape people trying to harvest your organs. And you periodically like a lose a kidney. version. Yep. Exactly. It's called Human Harvest about organ <laughs> trade and trafficking, I think specifically in China. Um, the one I watched was also on Amazon Prime. It was called Tales from the Organ Trade, not mm. Oregon Trail. <laughs> and that is a 2013 documentary, and it was very illuminating. I'll talk uh, a bunch about it. I'm still laughing about a video game called The Oregon, Oregon Trail. Trail. It really is <laughs> making me laugh. Uh, the, the actual Oregon Trail, like the logo is like a long intestine, like laid oh, out like God. a trail. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So the idea of organ theft, uh, specifically kidney theft, can be traced back to as early as 1991, according to Snopes and a few other articles. And the actual article in Snopes would credit this episode of Law & Order as its earliest known origin, actually. Are you serious? Like, this is the the origin point of organ theft? It seems like this is the time frame when it started, and it seems too coincidental that this episode was so big in 1991. Wow. And that's when they, like, kind of trail it back to. And all of the stories that have kind of come up they all have kind of elements that you'd see from this episode oh that's like so the interesting person, yeah because a lot of the early cases of this would be talking about someone left outside in ice or in the oh, winter yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and then that eventually evolved into being in like a bathtub full of ice and yada yada so i was very surprised that this i didn't even have to like look it up too hard it was right there in, in black and white that they put this episode as a as one of their like main origins for that's the whole, so interesting uh, Huh. Right? The more you know. Da, 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 da. Can I even do that sound? Is that like illegal? <laughs> I, I think it was far enough away from being accurate that, that, that we're safe. <laughs> fair, fair enough. I'll take it. Another reason why this is credited that way is because Law & Order, as we know, is um, they call themselves a show that while it's not based on real events, they rip everything from the headlines. And yeah. especially early on in the show, they were like pretty true to that. So when people would have seen this episode, it's not surprising they would have assumed it was based on a true story just offhand because most of the other episodes we've seen thus far were. Yeah. On top of that, so all of the cases so far, we've been able to, for the most part, find a related crime or uptick in tr type of crime. Yes. With this one, um, when they did any research on like what headline this could have been ripped from, their best guess was one about a Turkish man in 1989 who was being brought to Britain for a procedure. And the actual article, it's a few lengthy sentences, but since it's credited to be like the origin story for this episode, and then in turn being the origin story for the whole organ thief thing at large, I'm just going to read it in its entirety. Okay. So um, this is a news article from 1989, and it's talking about this Turkish man named Mr. Kos. So it says, quote, Mr. Kos said he was taken to the hospital by two brothers who had been described to the hearing as kidney, brother, kidney brokers. Okay. He said he did not see any doctors or nurses when he arrived because he was taken straight into a lift and shown to a luxurious room with a couch, television, wardrobe, and bed. 
They drove me to a building which I thought was a hotel. I now know it was the Humana. I, I think that's like the facility. Okay. He goes on to say, I had a meal and they left and I woke up in the morning. End quote for that. And then the article continues saying, a woman wearing something white like a nurse came in and after asking him to sign a document, returned with a syringe in her hand. Mm. I was told they were going to take some more blood from me, he said. The next thing he knew was when he awoke in a room with bottles on the wall fixed with cables and he had a very wide bandage around his waist, which was painful. And that's like the whole like main article. Yeah. More articles came out after that. And it turns out, you know, he is he was claiming he was taken to this place and his kidney was stolen and he thought it was like a hotel. It ended up being like a facility. It was this whole strange thing. Hmm. And this was in 1989, and this is most likely the article that inspired the episode because someone in production said that it was inspired by a story that he had heard from a friend who had read it in the okay. paper. Okay. It later comes out in further claims that it was a lie, that he had yeah. sold his kidney. Oh and my gosh. And he didn't want to... That sounds so familiar now that you say that. I'm just... Okay, keep going. Yeah, so it, it ends up being a big thing. Like, he sells his kidney and I, I think gets caught in some way and then comes up with this cover story to say, like, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you know how the game of telephone works. So one person hears a story, hears it from someone else, and makes an episode <laughs> of Law & Order about it. And, you know, always happens that Gossip way. Gossip is the devil's telephone. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure. Yeah, so the usual urban legend would usually include a uh, traveler of some sort being tricked or drugged in some cases and waking up either outside in the snow or in a really cold room, like with an operating table with like where they could see their breath or like most commonly in yeah. a bathtub of ice. And they usually find like a scar on their body and have pain in their abdomen where their kidney would have been. And then they later discover that it had been stolen. Yeah. That's like the gist of it, right? And then, you know, you have to be mm -hmm. careful where you go, kind of like you said. So in this way, the the, the myth is, is entirely a myth because they always describe the survivor of the crime in like a really cold situation, but it's really only the organ that needs to stay cold there's no really reason for you to be in a bath i was just gonna say i don't can't imagine why you would need to be in a bathtub full of ice <laughs> right and it's always a detail included and it's it doesn't make any sense right really. it doesn't make medical sense which somebody who is removing your kidney has to have some degree of medical knowledge because if you asked me to remove somebody's kidney i would fail miserably that person would not be alive at the end of it if you forced me to try to remove somebody's kidney i'm not even good at operation so <laughs> i was way too much so anxiety. bad at that game oh god that uh, buzzer. bad feelings yeah and so also like in that same way no there's so much human regard taken for some someone like when you're stitching someone back up and why would you, if you're going through the trouble of getting an organ from someone illegally in this way and tricking them and drugging them and all this stuff. Why are you letting them live? And what's funny is it, the, the like kind of urban legend thing that I remember about this is that whenever the person wakes up, there's like a note or something like written on the wall. That's like, your kidneys have been removed. You have like 30 minutes to get to a hospital or, or so, like there's oh. some sort of like diabolical message that they get when they're awaking right. in this bathtub full of ice. Exactly, which is also something, why would that be something they would leave behind? And right. the the equipment used to safely remove a kidney, even like the base level, and then to transport it is so massive that there would yeah. be no way for it to be inconspicuous enough to like transport it in and out of a hotel or whatever facility you'd be in. Yeah. So yeah. there's no like logged cases of this, essentially, not in this way at least. 
um, even to this day. So it is still an urban legend that's been proven false by multiple sources. But it was really, really popular, like you said, in the late 90s. 1997 yeah. is like the height of the email chain letter that was going out about it. Oh, my God. Yeah, the chain letters. God, I totally remember yeah. this now. Yeah, there was a huge like surge of email chain letters. You remember when AOL started becoming really popular and like all the other offshoots, like email chain letters were like everybody, every, <laughs> everybody's parent <laughs> loved 100%. email chain letters. Yes. And yes. every office had a, a chain letter sender. So yes, this was a huge one, like a word of warning. I mean, I've gotten this chain letter before. Yes. And then it's just kind of spread through popular media since then. It's been in the Nip Tuck episode, like you said. It's been in a lot of different movies and TV shows referenced a million different times. So that's kind of like the the gist of it. However, mm-hmm. I was able to kind of hone in on actual cases of organ issues mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, that are more actually like important to talk about that actually do happen. <laughs> that are real. So yeah. that are real. Yes. Oh, and then one one last thing about the the kidney thief myth. Uh-huh. And if you're like, like the episode said, if someone is like stealing a kidney, you're probably in a lot of desperation, and you need a pretty close match. And you'd right. have to know a great deal about the target's like very recent and historical health information in order for this to be a viable kidney, even in the first place. So right there's yes. that too. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, you. I always kind of got the impression that like the urban legend was that there was this like huge like thriving market of like kidney thieves and and organ organ trade and all of that. <laughs> the organ the organ trade the <laughs> organ trail if you will. And <laughs> I think that I just always assumed that they were like stealing so many organs that they were like, okay, we're going to steal all these organs and we'll figure out who it matches. Once we have it. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And that isn't entirely untrue either. Ooh. Okay. As far as kind of what's happening out there. Great. Um, okay. Kind of. I mean, maybe not in the length of time you might think they hold on to these items, but the frequency at which they are obtaining them, it's it's okay. kind of like that. Okay. So the real issue is more about the organ harvesting and organ trafficking that happens internationally, like at really insane rates, especially for kidneys. Okay. So that's kind of what I really researched here. So there's a lot of reputable sources that will cite organ harvesting as recently as even in 2019 in the Chinese prison system where... Oh, wow. Okay. I don't know what, what this means, but there's like a group of people or prisoners that are known as like the prisoners of conscience. So basically a prisoner of conscience is somebody who is imprisoned because of their race, sexual orientation, religion, or political views. So they're sort of seen as somebody who is imprisoned as a result of their identity or beliefs. And so it's kind of like that. What we often see with serial killers, for example, will, or, you know, child molesters will prey on the like vulnerable, like more vulnerable populations who people like, quote unquote, like care about less is kind of the impression I get of prisoners of conscience, conscience. That's even more upsetting because that's essentially saying like these people, the idea of what I got from that article was that these people are forgotten about or sort of expendable. And so they're able to do this to them without much repercussion because they're sort of not part of society anymore. Yes. And the only real reason they know this is really happening is because of like census sort of information and like all of Mm. these unaccounted for organs and 
all of these procedures being allegedly done in the prison system on these prisoners of conscience. And so like, it's not proven because they can't prove it, I guess, but it's like, yeah, highly suspected basically. Yeah. And so many people in the system have been like, it's, it's, it's happening, you know? Oh, wow. Okay. And that's 2019. So it's, it's a pretty recent issue and I found a lot more pretty, yeah, more on that later. Okay. So we do see instances of this like kind of, version of organ theft, which is like organ harvesting. Um, There's also been multiple cases of kidney harvesting and theft in India. And most of the cases there, people were lured by advertisements to India from all over the place, promising 30,000 rupees for a job opportunity of some sort. But upon arriving, they were asked instead for their kidneys for that same fee And many of the survivors of this report being coerced, threatened, or drugged, and then operated on without their consent. Ugh. I mean, it sounds almost, like, too horrific to be believable, but, I I mean, it's entirely possible that this is happening all over the world, you know? Oh, totally, totally. I I mean, it's mostly happening in in countries where we have a like really impoverished population of people who are in desperate need of money. Oh, totally. Right. Cause then you can abuse them and, and make them right. vanish and nobody pays attention to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I highly recommend that documentary I watched that I talked about earlier from the, um, from Amazon, the tales from the organ trade. You see so much. It's very eye opening on that topic they go to the philippines and they really like talk to the people who are selling their organs and they're very candid it's it's perspective shifting for sure there's so much like human trafficking for like sex trade that it isn't necessarily surprising that this would happen in relation to other crimes right Exactly. And organ trafficking, to get it to be looked at under the human trafficking umbrella was incredibly hard and only recently has even made any headway in that, in that um, domain. Oh, interesting. Okay. Kosovo remains the country that has the highest instances of organ theft and harvesting and where like kind of the epicenter of a lot of this happens. And um, hmm. it, it's mentioned in the documentary I watched a little bit that the reason for this is because Kosovo is like a new, like one of the newest countries Oh, yeah. Like mm -hmm. the political basically like regime is newer. So it's less entrenched like laws and practices, basically. Yeah. And something about them not being recognized by every other country in the same way. And so if something happens in Kosovo regarding someone in certain countries, like they went there to get this procedure done or whatever, there's no way to prosecute, essentially. Because Kosovo is not recognized by the country in some way. Gotcha. Okay. So I don't know a lot about that. They kind of brushed over it in the documentary only. And then Kosovo is mentioned in a lot of the other articles. So I know that that's probably the reason, but I don't know exactly what that means. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in the documentary I mentioned, it goes over this whole topic of those who donate kidneys and those who receive them. And they go like from multiple angles. So the trafficking of organs during it is described as, quote, exploitation of the human condition that has to stop. And after watching it, I would agree. It's like way more prevalent than I thought it was. Hmm. And we get the true stories of people who have been on dialysis and waiting for kidneys for years. And we also see the true story of a man who has about three years left to live and whose daughter, his grown daughter, is unwilling to donate her kidney despite being a direct a match. match. And yeah. now he's considering going to the black market because of it. When, when they show those patients on dialysis, just because I remember them mentioning in the episode, like, oh, we can keep people alive on dialysis. 
Dialysis is fucking gnarly. Have you seen someone on dialysis in, in real life? Because I have not. I haven't not like physically witnessed it, but I've seen it in like a documentary or, or movie or, or I think I probably have watched uh, like videos in various classes where they talk I about it. Had it's, it's hard on your no body. idea. The, the part of the documentary that, like I said, was really most important for me was showing like all of the people who donated their kidneys. And it even opens with a scene of about 20 or like 20 to 30 men and they're all holding up like a side of their shirt and showing like their huge kidney scars from, oh, wow. from where they donated. And they all talk about, it, it goes over the, a lot of their lives in depth, but basically they're all promised basically, uh, what is it like $2,200 to $3,000 American dollar equivalent, um, for them. They're told, you know, sell your kidney and this is what you get. So yeah. it's kind of a really widely done thing for people who are desperate for money or who are really, really down in their luck. Uh, it's easy to find a kidney broker and they're just like a- average people in town that you go to and they mm-hmm. do all the testing that's re- necessary to see what kind of blood type you are. And it's, it's a really lucrative business over there. So for them getting even $1,200 is really exciting because that's more than half of their annual earnings, $1,200. Yeah. And it's really upsetting because you see these people in the documentary who, you know, were promised all this money, they get about half of what they're promised, and it's to change their lives because it's half of their annual income, but you see, right. you see the conditions they're still living in. And it's heartbreaking because it, it doesn't actually propel them forward, it doesn't do anything to make their lives easier. So right. it's really corrupt, and the people are incredibly exploited, and it's it's really sad because they show like a lot of people are hopeful to get on this like list of people donating kidneys but then because someone else comes along that's a little bit younger or maybe a little bit more healthy they're kind of just dropped or or left behind and then they put Mm -hmm. all this like hope to getting this kind of money to get them out of their situation and then they're kind of like put aside or ignored and then have to start from scratch basically so the the main case it goes over in the in the um in the film and like that's you know sort of the only true crime i can find throughout all of this that's um worth mentioning is that kosovo case um for this medicus clinic it was called Mm -hmm. so just briefly the story is about this gentleman who he starts off they start off talking to him and he needed a kidney and he was on the list he was on the list for a very very long time he was never going to get his kidney in time so he started to look for alternative methods. He looks online. He hears about like this black market where you can sort of buy kidneys. So he looks into it a little bit. He decides he's going to do it. He mortgages his house, spends $100,000. And remember, <laughs> the kidneys are being bought for like things like $100,000. They're being sold right. for like $1,200 max. So his surgeon is Dr. Yusuf Sonmez. And he's from Turkey originally, but he mm-hmm. moves to Kosovo mm-hmm. because in Turkey, he's a well-known doctor, a well-known surgeon. He's performed over 2,000 operations. And despite him being controversial, being accused of um, organ theft about six different times, he is acquitted mm-hmm. each time. There's never any proof. Mm-hmm. Each time he's taken to court, he's able to produce consent forms from the patient. And mm-hmm. each time the patient says they did not sell their organ, they gave it of their own free will. Hmm. He just starts to get to, 
to be referred to as Dr. Frankenstein, among other things in the press. And it, although he's never convicted, he still takes his practice over to Kosovo just okay. to avoid the reputation that's followed him, get some peace. Right. So Somnes is this gentleman surgeon, and then Moshe Haral is the fixer or arranger in the situation. So he's the one who is the go-between between the surgeon and where they are um, ultimately getting the organ from. Right. The other person involved is Zaki Shapira, and he is the nephrologist, uh, which I had to look up. Maybe you know what it is, but I didn't. <laughs> I do not. I was just literally thinking, I hope Matt says what that is. Okay. It's like a kidney specialist, and they would be in the room oh, when a kidney okay. surgery happens because they oversee and make sure that the kidney is properly handled and safely hmm. you know, administered and all that. So they're okay. essentially like the kidney specialist. He mentions on camera, and he's interviewed, and he mentions on camera that he's done at least 850 quote-unquote illegal transplants. He doesn't consider them to be illegal, though. He describes how they would do it, and he has, like, kind of a... I don't know if I should say funny story, but it's kind of funny, where (laughs) the way that it would happen, they would go to to a country, they would find a clinic that would be able to do it, and they would pay the police in town to tip them off if they were ever suspected. And so they'd line up a big block of surgeries for like maybe a couple days, maybe 10 surgeries a day, and they would just do them, bim, bam, boom. And then if at any point they got a call from the cops that they were suspected, they would put casts on everybody that was a patient there for a kidney surgery because the clinic would always be looked like an orthopedic clinic. So they would all look like orthopedic cases when people came in. Gotcha. Interesting. he said it worked every time, and the worst part was just getting the casts off people. After, uh, <laughs> I bet. Yeah. So very interesting that they have had all these like processes and things to kind of protect themselves, um, and and get this and get this done. And he is yeah. not uh, apologetic about it. Neither is is Sonmez. Neither have been convicted of any of these crimes, even even when they the Kosovo clinic is under investigation and gets closed down. You know, they're, they're taken to court, but nothing is ever able to, like, put them behind bars. And so right. uh, Sonmar is now, he's interviewed on camera, too, and he just says, like, listen, I don't have any regret for anything I did. I don't think I did anything wrong. I'm saving lives, and I'm not getting paid for the kidneys. Like, people are saying I'm getting $100,000 per case, and he's like, listen, I've done over 250 cases. Do I look like someone who has over 250000 like... A hundred, like he basically would have, based on what they say, like two hundred fifty million dollars, and sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, while he's right, he doesn't seem to be living that kind of lifestyle. I mean, I, I guess people who would be taking in that kind of income illegally would have a way to be hiding it. So, you know, it's it's still up for debate. But uh, he just said, you know, the best thing I could do is just not practice anymore because that's all I'm ever going to do is kidney. This is my specialty. This is what my practice is. So. If I can't do what I'm supposed to do, I'm just not going to do anything. So he just doesn't perform right. anymore, allegedly. Hmm. Whereas um, Zaki Shapira, the nephrologist, he is allegedly retired, but would not like confirm or deny whether he still performs these procedures because he refuses to believe. Right. He refuses to consider these things illegal. Okay. So a number of the articles I read, the going rates for organs... Uh, on the black market, which is a real thing. So that girl in the episode was lying. <laughs> there is a black market. I mean, for granted, organs. if if Law and Order was like the genesis for this rumor, they probably sure. didn't. They probably were like, "Nah, it's not real." 
True. They probably were like forced by like the advertisers to be like, please put in a line that that's not real. <laughs> yeah. 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 The, the, their base rates, there was a little chart I found and the base rates for a lot of the organs are at a low for like 30,000 for corneas. Whoa. 150K is this, the uh, highest base rate that's for a lung. But huh. by far the most popular item on the menu is the kidney. <laughs> And those are a base rate of usually 62,000. Wow. Yeah. Most waiting lists for kidneys are at least two years for a transplant, with some in the U.S. and Canada as high as seven years for a transplant. I, I've heard of higher in my life. I'm sure I've heard of higher in my life. Yeah, I have, I have somebody in my life who is waiting for a heart transplant, and it's been years and years and years. And it, I mean, I wish we were a culture where more people were donating their organs to people who needed them, because there are a lot of people who are waiting a long time. And like that, they even said in the episode, a lot of people who will continue to wait and never get one. Right. And the need is like, it's so far outweighs the supply at this point from like cadavers and living donors when living donors are, you know, an option. Totally. And it just puts into perspective, like how marketable this is and why like the trafficking of organs is so lucrative for those who are involved in it, because there's such, such a high demand. Many of the tactics used by those involved in these operations are highly illegal on their own from breaking all the obvious laws that were associated with stealing organs from people. (laughs) Um, But down to the way they handle the money and the paperwork, it's all used to cover up these schemes. So so there's a lot of money laundering, a lot of like fake donations and stuff like that, I'm sure. Exactly. A lot of hiding money and where it's coming from and where it's going to and lying about your connections to the people who you'd be donating to so that it's a legal thing. Essentially, the the people who are selling the kidneys are often from impoverished areas overseas, and they're promised, you know, all this money, and they usually receive very little, but they are told they only can do this if they are doing it for altruistic reasons. That's the only reason right. you, way you can get away with doing it at all. So they're all coached ahead of time by whoever the organ broker is, and they're determined whether they're, like, good enough of a liar or have good enough of a poker face to stand up right, to, like, to the scrutiny to they're going to have. Questioning. Yeah. Exactly. Because they know all the questions Ugh. are going to get asked and they know that, you know, what they have to say to like pass. And so they'll either be, they'll either pass the organ um, broker's test or not. And then if they do, then they're sent off to donate their organ, quote unquote, donate their organ. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, then implanted someone who pays $70,000 for it. So it's, it's wow. really exploitive to both the donor and the recipient because like they're both trying to like essentially save their lives whether it's for financially or or literally and so yeah. it's just a terrible a terrible thing especially when you consider the the huge backlog of of people on lists waiting i agree with the sentiment of the otn in the law and order episode where they're like it's essential that that this remain a fair and democratic process because otherwise the people with power and money will jump the line and get their heart transplant and get their lung transplant. And people who are impoverished or have less means than the rich and wealthy will be waiting forever. Yeah, exactly. Which, you know, I'm not, and I say that with full awareness that I'm certain that that happens in different ways. Like, you know, nod, nod, wink, wink, we'll make a a donation to this foundation if you can like nudge us up on the list kind of stuff. I'm not naive enough to assume that that doesn't happen in different ways, but I understand why 
in the episode, like they were the the organization was so fervent about it, about going after the person who had orchestrated this organ theft, because we can't let people's trust in this, the fairness of that system erode, you know? Right. Because it's the only thing that exists right now. It's like the only right, exactly. thing that gives people yeah. hope. Yeah. So, and like, the, like you mentioned, like, yeah, things happen that are the nudge, nudge, wink, wink things where like, let's pass off some money <laughs> under the table. Let's talk about our last name. Let's talk about who we right. are and who we know yes. and, you know, blah, blah. And the system has also been found to be unfortunately and unsurprisingly pretty racist in how they match people up and honoring the wishes of those who donate their organs sort of to combat a lot of the practices like this and any sort of thing to do with organ trafficking that's been largely overlooked and as i said underrepresented as far as uh how to prosecute it if at all so a few of the things that have happened in the recent years the declaration of istanbul was created in 2008 and it tackles organ trade head-on um that's one of the main things it fights and the convention against trafficking in human organs was put into effect in 2018 which puts legal guidelines on how to classify organ trafficking in terms of human trafficking, and it makes it easier to prosecute cases at the level they need to be, considering the um, mm-hmm. seriousness of the of the issue. More recently, on an article on SciDev.net, it's uh, titled, COVID-19 has caused fewer transplants to be performed and the unmet demand to grow steadily. It says, quote, groups of people who were already uneducated, uninsured, and unemployed are now even more desperate and susceptible to take up offers which they really shouldn't be taking, end quote. Hmm. And it says that organ brokers, as well as um, those financially impacted by COVID-19, have taken to Facebook to buy and sell kidneys, corneas, and plasma. And the number of these advertisements and websites and groups online have increased pretty proportionally since the pandemic has started. And um, this is classified by the article as data no one wants because no country wants to admit its citizens have resorted to these practices for survival. Kind of scary. Some good news on the topic of reform has just passed in November of 2020. And in an article on healthaffairs.org titled New Organ Donation Rule is a Win for Black Patients and Health Equity, um, it, outqu- it outlines how for the first time OPOs, which stands for Organ Procurement Organizations, it outlines how they will be held accountable by having their contracts terminated if they don't meet benchmark standards and address the inequities in organ donation from both the recipients and the potential donors. <laughs> it it's a really interesting article, but it has a lot of medical jargon in it. <laughs> and if I try to go through it all, I'm just going to sound as like dumb as I felt reading it. <laughs> but essentially, it seems like this is just a really great first step that was unexpected. Um, but it's, you know, on a long road of reform that needs to yeah. happen in order to address like this obviously broken system that allows thousands of people to die and makes so much money. And... Money is like the big topic in talks of like how to change the way organ donation is handled. A big like school of thought exists um, where they consider the idea of there being a monetary incentive for organ organ donors. What's interesting to think about, like, you know, if the government, you know, put a law into place that was like, if you are an organ donor, the government will give like upon your death x amount to cover funeral expenses or something like that right because like most organ donation is when somebody has passed away 
And so like just thinking about something like that would that could actually help lift not lift a lot of people out of poverty but prevent a lot of people from like the huge expenses that happen when somebody passes away you know and and i'm not saying that's like the right thing i haven't thought through that all the way but i'm just thinking you know there there could be things like that that could really not only help with the long wait and high demand for organ transplants but also help prevent people from incurring huge expenses when a loved one passes away i don't know i mean it's interesting to think about how things like that could solve multiple problems at once yeah i think it's definitely something to consider i think there's a huge call from everything i'm I'm reading and seeing to rebuild the system in some way for sure um Mm -hmm. because you know the narrative right now is people are dying at an alarming rate and it just seems like people are turning more and more to like the black market and these unsafe practices that exploit people ultimately, but they don't seem like they're exploiting people because they're saving people's lives. And it becomes this big debate and gray area um, that takes away from what the actual conversation should be about in the first place, you know? And so there's a lot of other suggestions I read about, you know, changing this, changing the system um, of how organ donation is, is handled and, some of the suggestions include automating real-time donor referrals mm. and enabling organ procurement organizations to merge and share services, which I don't know why that would be not happening. But yeah. um, according to the United Network for Organ Sharing, they are claiming that they're working very hard to do to do this now more so than ever. So even though this episode was based on an urban legend, <laughs> I feel like it brought me into like a world I hadn't put much thought into it all but kind of like the the stray bullet episode something i really hadn't yeah considered and uh, well i was just gonna say i mean this whole thing is just like more example of the way that like capitalism allows us to exploit certain populations for the benefit of others and just another horrifying way that that can happen and another horrifying way that like explains why those people are impoverished in the first place sometimes yep yep Well, great job, especially since you uh, didn't have a specific crime to go off of. But it's so interesting that the episode was kind of the genesis for some of that urban legend hysteria around urban thieves. I had no idea. I didn't either. What would you rate this episode? Okay. I would give this episode actually a pretty high rating. I thought it was very entertaining, interesting, had good twists and stuff. And, uh-huh. you know, there were a few off moments, but I would give it a... I'm going to be controversial here. I'm going to give it an uh, A-. minus. I was going to say, you're about to say an A, aren't you? Okay. Yeah, I was debating on whether I should go down to B+, but I, I really was very interested and i had a few like gasp like oh i didn't see that coming moments <laughs> yeah yeah and i guess and, uh, dealing with the issue i don't know i mean there yeah, was the, I, it created the issue so <laughs> yeah so i'm gonna give it a i'm gonna give it a b for the issue okay. because i would give it an a since it's like you said it's really the catalyst for the whole urban myth i guess i'll give it a b because it doesn't address the bigger picture but i don't know if there was a lot of a lot known about the bigger picture at the time so yeah i think i would give it i'm gonna give it kind of the b plus a minus for watchability because it was i think one of the better episodes like as far as storytelling goes compared to some of the other ones we've had in in this past season and i think i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it a b minus for how it dealt with the issue because i think that for what they knew at the time which 
they were sort of concocting a story. They, by all accounts, didn't really have any awareness of of a trend or pattern or any of that. And then, but I will, I'm giving them a B minus because I feel like they touched on, but could have done a better job of like the dynamics of this was like a rich white family and they stole the kidney of a black man and Mm -hmm. didn't really touch on any of the elements of wealth and inequality and privilege as much as they could have, I think, and especially sort of the the racial dynamics of that as well. So I'll give them a B minus because for what they were working with, they didn't do too terribly. Yeah. Before you go on, I I wanted to mention an idea I just came up with. (laughs) Okay. I was going to mention, I read about this episode that it was... Uh, an inspiration for a Law and Order UK episode in 2009. There was so Law and they, Order UK? Yeah, I think it was like four wow. seasons. It was in the UK, so it was like okay. their version of it. It Got wasn't it. like an American version set in UK. And they used this inspiration for a 2009 episode called Sacrifice. So we should definitely, either oh. we should eventually cover Law and Order UK if it's good. Or we should maybe check, try to find that episode and maybe compare it to this episode at some point. So one of the things, listeners, that Matt and I plan to do eventually (laughs) is to start a Patreon and so that you can support us if you are enjoying listening to our podcast. And we would be really interested to hear things that you would like to see on a Patreon. And as you were saying that, Matt, I was kind of thinking like maybe we could do periodic like recaps of the sort of like law and order spinoff things that weren't Mm. quite as popular as the main series or SVU like law and order UK or law and order criminal intent or whatever because there were like five or six different spinoffs I feel like so if that's something that you think you would love to see on Patreon or Patreon episodes about that or you have other ideas for things that we could offer you on a Patreon subscription for supporting our podcast, please feel free to send us an email and we would be thrilled to hear your ideas. We really enjoy doing this and we don't want to just be like, hey, here's a, you know, <laughs> a signed piece of paper. <laughs> like what, what can right. we possibly yeah. offer just like to ordinary people? So we're trying to be as creative as we can in, in things we we can offer you guys. So we would love, love to know what, what you want out yeah. there. Um, yeah, absolutely. So the best thing that you could do to help us grow is to rate and review our podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen to our episodes. Yeah, tell a friend, tell anybody you know out there who might be interested in in what we're doing. And honestly, like I mentioned earlier, word of mouth is is the hugest thing. So just simply telling your friends and, and uh, colleagues or whatnot about us would be Big, big, big. Our social media is Ripped Headlines on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And our email address is rippedheadlinespod at gmail.com. We really love getting emails from you. And again, uh, feel free to just say hi. Tell us what you love. Tell us what you don't love. Tell us ideas for Patreon. Any email we get from you is a great email. So feel free to say hi. Yeah, we love saying hi. <laughs> and yeah, like we mentioned earlier, we have our, our website we just launched. So it's rippedheadlinespod.com. You can find links to all of our um, platforms you can find us on. Our old episodes are all up there. You could find a little bit more about us and we'll be putting up recommendations and things like that. So check it out. Uh, see if there's anything new about future merchandise, newsletters, all different things like that. And we also love collaborating with other podcasters. So if you are another... <laughs> 
Sorry, let me start that over. <laughs> my, my like windpipe collapsed. So we also love collaborating with other podcasters. So if you are another true crimey related podcast or think that we would be great as guests on someone else's or someone else would be a great guest on ours, feel, feel free to put us in touch. And thank you all so much for listening to Rip from the Headlines, where you'll get all of the facts and some fiction. We will see you next week. And until then, stay out of the headlines. Bye. Bye.